turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. We're going to leave our sermon series through the book of Colossians until after Easter. Uh, we're going to look at uh, this account of Jesus' triumphal entry. By the way, very few things find their way into all four of the Gospels. A lot of times they'll be in the synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and sometimes not in John, or John might have something uh, unique. But the triumphal entry was an important enough deal that it finds its way in all four of our Gospels. So maybe this week you want to go home and just kind of look at what does, what does Matthew say, and what does Mark say, and what does John say? Because they all give us beautiful perspective of what it meant for Jesus to come and to rescue us. And oh, by the way, one more thing. I, I forgot to mention that in your bulletin, there's a welcome and connect card. Uh, this, again, is a way to connect with us and for us to connect with you, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. Uh, there's several of you here this morning. Uh, we would love to know you worship with us. If you have time to fill that out, uh, that would be fantastic. Put it in our baskets on the way out. Again, this morning, it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the church celebrates this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the beginning what is known as Holy Week, culminating in Easter Sunday. Uh, it's a very important week in the history of the church. Some denominations will say, hey, Easter changed everything in the resurrection. Let's treat every Sunday the same. And I get that, because every Sunday we gather is like Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we gather, we can celebrate that Christ is alive. Our sins are forgiven. Uh, you know, that God loves us and is with us. But there's something very special about us stopping and focusing on this reality. Just like we do at Christmas time, uh, we have an Advent season. We celebrate Christ's birth. But listen, if we only had his birth and we didn't have his death and resurrection, the story would be incomplete. But the question I want to start with you is this. It's often called Jesus' triumphant entry. Is it a triumph or is it a tragedy? I mean, it's really interesting about what perspective you look at, triumph or tragedy. Because why? Because the crowds, it says, Scripture will tell us, the crowds of disciples, they are crying out, Hosanna. They, they are joyfully crying out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. But the same crowds in less than a week would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And then you have the religious leaders. And they are indignantly, I mean, crying out heresy, blasphemy. So here you have the religious leaders. You think they would be the ones who are most excited of a Messiah showing up and all the people getting excited about a king coming to town. But they keep telling Jesus, hey, shut up your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. I love the fact that Scripture gives us the, the look into their hearts. They were indignant. They weren't just a little bit upset. They were furious. Why? From their perspective, why would they be furious of this entry? And then you have Jesus. We're going to see Jesus' emotions. I mean, the emotions of this week, are gonna, he's going to cover them all. But after his triumphal entry, what does he do? High-five his disciples? What does he do? Say, okay, boys, here we are. Uh, we are rolling into town. We're taking over. Here it goes. No, Jesus weeps. He bitterly weeps over Jerusalem over people who won't come, who won't know. A Messiah who weeps. So is this triumphant or is this tragic? Again, depending on perspective. 
Perspective has a lot of consequences. It reminds me, there was a Turkish pastor who came to town several years ago. Uh, again, somebody from that part of the world coming to America, never seen it. Uh, you really want to know, hey, w w what's it like? I mean, what's it like through your perspective of coming to America? And uh, what I, someone gave me tickets to go see the Orlando Magic back when they actually had a winning record and they were like playoff bound. Um, to go take this pastor to the Orlando Magic game. And, and as we drove down to the game together, uh, he had experienced a couple of worship services. I'm like, what do you think of America? I mean, what do you think of, of being here in the States? What's your perspective, basically? And as I'm asking this question, we go by a 7-Eleven. I'm not kidding. You had like 15 American flags. He's like, why, why do you have so many flags? So, oh, we love our country. By the way, I've been to Turkey. They have a lot of flags there, and uh, I know they love their country as well. So I'm kind of feeling a little, little sensitive to the reality. He's, he's wondering about why we're flying, flying our flags, almost like why are we rattling our swords, possibly. Guess what night it was for the magic? Military appreciation night. It was military. The first thing they did is they hand you a G.I. Joe, like, like a stuff like a G.I. Joe, you know, look at I mean, stuff comes out of the rafters, you know, shooting at the referees. I mean, all, all of the dancers or wherever in camo. And I'm thinking, thinking, what does this guy think? What is his perspective of America? You know, I mean, we love our country so much. If you don't love us, we're going to shoot at you, right? I mean, it's just, we're going to go to a basketball game and just say, whoa, look at how big and strong we are. It was a completely different perspective. Well, let's pivot strongly, see if I can connect the dots. What a tragedy we had in Nashville. Nothing to say other than tragic. It's time to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. But you know the country we live in, you can't help but as immediately the perspectives start coming out. They start coming out very quickly afterwards. Well, what could have prevented this? What laws against guns or for guns? And, and what could have prevented this? And what do we need to do uh, after this? How, how do we protect those most precious to us? I mean, how do we do it? And I tell you, the perspective, and oftentimes, depending on what side of the aisle you sit on, uh, usually you find that perspective. Isn't it amazing how you can see the same event, hear the same thing, and come up with different conclusions, all depending on perspective, the power of perspective. Well, let's unpack God's word, because really what's more important than your perspective or mine is God's perspective, because he always sees perfectly and clearly and I go, go to him and say, God, help us. Help us to have perspective in your word on, uh, on this triumphal entry of Jesus. So we're going to look at three things. As I read through Luke, we're going to look at from the disciples' perspective. What was their perspective about this Palm Sunday? What about the religious leaders? What was their perspective? And then lastly, what was Jesus' perspective? So again, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to pick up in verse 28. We're going to read through verse 44. Let me remind you, like I try to do each and every Sunday, this is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. We can trust it. And in, in, in the original, without any errors. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where you are, uh, 
where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I don't you love the fact they're going to go do this? Seems a little bit nebulous to me, but amazing they do it. So those who went, uh, were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And they they were untying the colt. His owner said to them, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the, col- uh, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along. They spread their cloaks on the road. Uh, and as he was drawing near already on the way, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works for they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for that incredible day of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate today. And the question before us, was it triumphant or was it tragic? Because there's so much tragedy in that event that that Jesus would weep over the city in which he just entered. Oh God, would you give us the ability to understand this event from your perspective? And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your perspective would shape our perspective. That we would align with you of what this meant for us, for King's Chapel, for the world. Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice and minds that would understand your word. And God, would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth. And would God, would you be with us so powerfully to give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things just fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, the king, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So this triumphal entry of Jesus, uh, it it was one thing is clear, whether triumphant or tragic, it was filled with a lot of emotion. This was a very emotional day. God's people had waited a long time for a Messiah to show up. There are the loudest praises, praises in the street, praises in the temple. They're singing God's praises, Hosanna to the king, glory to God in the highest. 
The king of Israel, the king David, is on his way, glory to God, passionately, loudly singing his praises. Have you ever been in love with Jesus so much you couldn't help but sing loud? And even when you're a lousy singer like me, you're like, wow, there's such good news here. I don't care. I stink at singing, but I'm going to sing. This is the entire crowd mentality. I mean, they, they are they're loving the fact that the Messiah has finally rolled into town. Loudest praise. But there's also indignant anger. Uh, in two other gospel accounts, it says that these religious leaders, the chief priests, uh, the, the Pharisees, uh, the scribes, they're all angry. I mean, they're not just a little bit angry. They're all ticked. They're ticked of what is happening. I mean, a lot of emotion with them. I mean, they're, they're telling Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Actually, uh, John will tell us that in the temple, there were young children singing Jesus' praises. And they were so furious. Oh, listen to these young kids singing Jesus' praises. Do we not live in a time where people get pretty angry about those who worship Jesus? Do we not live in a time where people want to say, why don't you be quiet about worshiping Jesus? That's fine for you, but just don't put that on me. Uh, a lot of people are indignant and angry about Christianity. I mean, even coming out of this tragedy, you see it. But then there's weeping. I mean, what? Jesus is on what should be the high moment of his life in his ministry. He's finally announcing rolling into town as Messiah. You know, he's getting a lot of praises. Why would Jesus weep? Well, let's look at it from the disciples' perspective. The disciples' perspective, it says it was a crowd of disciples. Here's the reality. They had the right king. They had the right king, Jesus, right? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the God most high, right? I mean, Hosanna to the king of Israel. They had the right king, but they had the wrong kingdom. They had the wrong kingdom. They, 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 they were completely missing what Jesus was rolling into town doing, bringing the kingdom of God. Now, all they could see was the kingdom of man. They had the completely wrong perspective. They had the wrong view of their role. I love the, what Scripture tells us, what the disciples were talking about right before this, early on before this. Does anybody know what the disciples were talking about as they're heading to Jerusalem? Does anybody know what they were arguing about on the road getting there? Anybody remember what they were arguing about? What was it? Perfect. They all said at the same time. I had no idea what he said. You're right. Who is the greatest, right? I mean, wait, hit pause. Jesus has hung out with them for three years. He's told them over and over again, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be arrested, turned over, but, but, but you have good cheer. I'm going to be resurrected again. I mean, here he is. He's washing their feet. I mean, this is Jesus, and they are arguing who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to have the corner office? So here's what their perspective is, right? Okay, we're rolling into town. There's a new sheriff in town, and we're his deputies, and he's going to give us a corner office, and we're fighting over the corner office. That's their mindset. That's their mindset of their kingdom. We're fighting over the daggum corner office. Let me tell you what's even worse. James and John, these sons of thunder, you know what their mom had the audacity to do right before this? The mom, mama's boys, slides up to Jesus. Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Uh, when you enter your kingdom, is it good for my boys, one to be on your left and one to be on your right? Are you kidding me? James and John have their mommy go up to Jesus and say, hey, I want my boys in the position of power, all right? I want one on the left, one on the right. And he's like, do you have any idea what you're asking? Oh, yeah, we do. 
do you have any way, is there any way you're going to be able to carry what I'm carrying? Oh, yeah, we will. He's like, whatever. So these knuckleheads had the right king, but they had the wrong kingdom. And they had the wrong kingdom because they had the wrong view of their role. They thought it was about being the greatest. You see, our role in Jesus' kingdom, church, is to be humble servants. To use the power and authority that God has given to us for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. God empowers us, gifts us to be a blessing to others. God gifts us to bring him glory, not for selfish gain. What were these guys thinking? It's our day. We're coming to power. We're fishermen, but we're taking over. They had the wrong view of themselves. They also had the wrong view of the enemy. You know, crying out Hosanna. I, I probably, most of you don't know what Hosanna means. I mean, I, I got to look it up and study that as well. I mean, save us. So what they were s- crying out was, save us, King Jesus. Save us. So what is the enemy that they want to be saved from? What were they asking for to be released from? Their greatest enemy in their mind was Rome. Roman tyranny. We hate these Romans. They make us pay taxes. They're not nice to us. They don't follow our rules. They eat bacon. These are bad people, they thought, right? And so get rid of Rome. Get rid of the Romans. That was what they they viewed as their enemy. But what did Jesus say? Hey, I, I didn't come. This is my, my kingdom's not of this world. He came to do something, watch this, he came to do something so much greater and so much more powerful than an earthly kingdom like Rome. Jesus came to battle sin and death. Jesus came to battle the principalities of, of, the, of the earth and the air. Demonic powers. Jesus came for the ultimate battle. The ultimate battle to face sin and death face to face to experience that battle that would pierce him and through his wounds that we would be healed he came to fight something so much more than rome jesus came to fight evil roman tyranny is child's play compared to conquering sin and death i love it when he's before pontius pilate pilate and all of his arrogance is like not getting the answers he wants back from Jesus. He's getting frustrated, and he says, do you not know what authority I have? Do you, know, do you not know that I have the authority to just right now say crucify you and the authority to let you go? And Jesus says, do you know you have no authority that the Father didn't give you? And do you not think that right now I can't call down 10,000 angels to destroy you? But this is not the way it is. I got a work to do that includes a Roman cross. Pilate, you're nothing. Pilate, you're nothing more than a pawn. You're a pawn in God's plan. Because Jesus came to do something a whole lot more than to knock you off your throne or your little kingdom in Jerusalem. To take out Caesar. He was taking out Satan. So the wrong view of themselves, the wrong view of the enemy, and they had the wrong view of victory. Again, they thought the victory was over Rome, the freedom was going to be a freedom of an earthly kingdom. And the, and the victory is victory over sin and, and death. Victory is a, fr- a victory of freedom of being a slave to sin and not a slave to Rome. Victory was literally heaven. Victory was literally life, life abundantly, life eternally. Now let me hit pause. 
you've been around church, you've probably heard that before. Do you believe it? Do you believe for you he battled sin and death? Do you believe for you he wants you to have a victory knowing that you're on your way home, that you're loved and forgiven and free? I mean, that, that victory is so amazingly personal. Don't, don't lose those words in churchy words. I mean, he came to rescue. He, he came to find us. He came to set us free from what enslaves us. And it enslaves all of us, sin, right? I mean, we're born in that reality. We're broken. Scripture will say we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He came to give us life. How did he do it? By losing his. He came to robe us in his righteousness. To give us the righteousness of God that lived that perfect life. Not so that we're good enough, because he is good enough. He came to set us free. He came to give us a victory. And only Jesus can give us that victory. So that's, that's the disciples. They had the, they had the right king, the wrong kingdom. But then you have the religious leader's perspective, and they got them both wrong. They have the wrong king and the wrong kingdom. They were indignant about Jesus and his kingdom. When, when, when I read it, how do they address Jesus when they tell him to tell his disciples to shut up? What do they call him? King? Lord? What do they call him? Teacher? Rabbi? Dude, they were saying, Jesus, come off your high horse. You're not the Messiah. You're not the king. You're not the long-awaited one. You're just a teacher. So teacher, uh, it was inflammatory. Everybody else is saying, Hosanna to the king. They're yelling, no, 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 teacher. They had the wrong king. And they were threatened by his kingdom. Um, let me read to you out of Matthew. Matthew 21, 15 says this. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, wait a minute. When they saw the great things he did, when they heard even Scripture, Psalm 8, being fulfilled, that from the mouth of babes he's being praised, they were ticked because their kingdom was threatened. Their position was threatened. Their power was threatened. In John's Gospel, John 12, 19, he says this, So the Pharisees said to one another, Look, the whole world is going after him. It's interesting what the Gospel of John does. The Gospel of John will link the event of the triumphal entry to Lazarus' resurrection. And Lazarus' resurrection has caused quite a stir. I mean, people are abuzz. And they want to go see Lazarus. As a matter of fact, there's so much a buzz about him that the Pharisees and religious leaders, you ready for this? They decided to kill Lazarus, too. They said, if we don't take care of this, the whole world is going to go to Jesus. They were threatened. They were threatened with his kingdom. They were threatened with who he says he was. And they didn't want to lose their power. It was their pride. Their pride kept them from seeing Jesus rightly. And here's what's really, really sad. Their religion kept them from seeing the good news of the gospel. You know, I think that often gets in the way. Sometimes it's our sinful pride, and sometimes it's our self-righteous religion. I mean, the gospel is, is different than both. If God gives us the ability to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and sometimes we think religion, if I go to church, if I give, if I take communion, if I'm baptized, if I do those things, I'm accepted to God. And religion, our works of righteousness, could keep us from the good news of what Christ has done. Their religion was keeping them from Jesus. How sad. 
And any religion that doesn't drive you to Jesus is worthless. It should be him and him alone. Their self-righteousness kept them from salvation. Let me ask you this. Is there anything keeping you from Jesus? What is it? Is it your righteousness? Oh, I don't really need him. I'm pretty good on my own. Or is it your fear, of your, your pride? I could pull myself up by the bootstraps. What threatens your clear view of Jesus? And then from Jesus' perspective, here is the king of kings bringing in God's kingdom. If Jesus came, he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Now, don't forget that. That's his mission, seek and to save the lost. How do you seek and to save the lost? First of all, you have to fulfill scripture, right? That's what the whole thing is about. So he's going to fulfill scripture. How does Jesus fulfill scripture? He rides in on a donkey. All right, the, the book of Zechariah, a prophet of the Old Testament, well before Jesus comes, says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. You see, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem gently and humbly. Why? Get this. If you come to seek and to save the lost, you have to be accessible to the lost. That's Jesus. If you come for sinners, you've got to be accessible. And he was. Jesus didn't arrive into Jerusalem on a huge white war horse trampling over Rome. He arrives into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. <laughs> on a borrowed donkey, low and gentle. And that's what happens when you come to seek and to save the lost. You have to be accessible to lost. Hit pause. Whatever you've done and wherever you are, just know that you're not out of reach of our Savior. He came for us. He's accessible to us. Several years ago on a father-son baseball trip, I had the privilege with my sons to tour the West Wing of the White House. Anybody ever tour the West Wing of the White House? It was during George Bush, George W. Bush's uh, uh, reign to be in there. Almost ran into, I, I almost knocked out Dr. Condoleezza Rice. I came around the corner, there she was, at the time Secretary of State, I believe. Did not see the President, he was disappointed, but saw the Oval Office, walked around. But do you know that what we had to do to get into the West Wing of the White House? We had to jump through a lot of hoops. You think I jumped through those hoops? Heck no. A guy on that trip named Bill Talby, who's so anal and dots every I and crosses every T, got us in there, if I remember correctly. But having access, and after 9-11, try to get into the White House after 9-11, good luck. That's power. That power needs to be protected. That's the most powerful office in the world. This is Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords on a donkey. And you didn't have to have credentials, and you didn't have to pass through security. You didn't have to go through a metal detector. And you didn't have to send your resume in and give them your driver's license. This is Jesus. He's accessible to all. And what does he do? He weeps over the lost. Let me read to you again Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Church, don't you love the fact that we have a Savior who weeps over the lost? But don't you love the fact that he cares that much? Remember, these are people who are not getting it. These are the people who have rejected him. And how does he act? 
He thinks. He has a broken heart for the lost. I love that about him. Let me ask you, what do you weep over? Have you ever wept over the lost? Probably a good sign about how the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And if you're kind of like those disciples and it's kind of about us and we forgot about those around us, King's Chapel, are we a church that weeps over the lost? Does it break our hearts? Should. We'll be praying for them. But not only do we have a Savior who weeps over the lost. Now watch this. This is amazing. We're going to get to this this week. We have a Savior who bleeds over the found. You know, when, when Lazarus was being resurrected and Jesus showed up, he wept. And when he wept, everybody looked at him and said, wow, man, Jesus really liked this dude. I mean, Jesus loved him because look, at he's crying. His tears equate care. If his tears equated how he loved Lazarus, what does his blood equate of how he loves us? He did more than shed tears. He shed his blood for the found. For those who needed to be rescued, those who needed to be cleansed, those who needed their sins separated as far as the east is from the west, those who needed to be filled with the Spirit, those who needed to be brought home into his presence, he bled and he died so that we could be his. He does so much more than just shed tears for the lost. Oh, how he loves us. Clearly, one's perspective about Jesus' triumphal entry shapes one's understanding of these historic events. But the question I leave you with is, what is your perspective? Has King Jesus had a triumphal entry into your life? Are you embracing the right king? Or are you still on the throne? Or money? Or position? Or power? Or influence? Or sex? Has Jesus had a triumphal entry into your life? Are you living for the right kingdom? Where in your life does King Jesus' authority not rule? Where in your life are your cries of Hosanna hypocritical? Let me, let me say it this way. Where do you need to seek first the kingdom of God? That's what he says. God, I know in my life, <laughs> I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm 57, started at four. You know, I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. You know where God has me right now? Surrender. That's where he is. Jeff, surrender. I'm king, I'm lord. Your name, your reputation, surrender. I mean, let's go. I mean, are you, are you lord of lords, king of kings. Is he calling any of you to surrender? It's hard, isn't it? I love my name. I love status. I, I love praise. Surrender. King's Chapel. Is Jesus our king? And are we living for his kingdom? May today and every day be a triumphal entry for our king in our lives and in this church for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for loving sinners enough to send your son. And Jesus, how emotional that day was as you heard the cries of the people calling you king saying, save us, to know that those cries would turn by the end of the week and to crucify him. It isn't amazing that by being crucified, you did save us. By laying your life down, we have found our life. Through your wounds, we are healed. 
You were pierced for our transgressions. Our iniquity was on you. And through that cross, you would set us free. Jesus, you didn't come just to be our friend, and you didn't come just to be our counselor. You came to be king. And kings rule. You came to bring us a kingdom that you said has got to be our priority. We should seek it first. Oh, God, forgive us, because we often don't. God, I pray for anyone here of their perspective. If the perspective isn't that Jesus is king, may today be the day where they embrace Jesus as who he is, your son, Lord of lords, king of kings. And for those of us who aren't living for your kingdom, may today be the day where we surrender, where we say, enough of living for ourselves. May we live for the glory of our God and for the good of our neighbor. Oh God, come, heal your church, empower your church, help your church be faithful to our King, Jesus the Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.